0: CHAPTER 1 OF THE EIGHT PILLARS OF PROSPERITY BY JAMES ALLEN. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. 1. EIGHT PILLARS. Prosperity rests upon a moral foundation. It is popularly supposed to rest upon an immoral foundation, that is, upon trickery, sharp practice, deception, and greed. One commonly hears even an otherwise intelligent man declare that no man can be successful in business unless he is dishonest thus regarding business prosperity a good thing, as the effect of dishonesty a bad thing. Such a statement is superficial and thoughtless, and reveals a total lack of knowledge of moral causation, as well as a very limited grasp of the facts of life. It is as though one should sow henbane and reap spinach, or erect a brick house on a quagmire, things impossible in the natural order of causation, and therefore not to be attempted. The spiritual or moral order of causation is not different in principle, but only in nature. The same law obtains in things unseen, in thoughts and deeds, as in things seen, in natural phenomena. Man sees the processes in natural objects, and acts in accordance with them, But not seeing the spiritual processes, he imagines that they do not obtain, and so he does not act in harmony with them. Yet these spiritual processes are just as simple and just as sure as the natural processes. They are indeed the same natural modes manifesting in the world of mind. All the parables and a large number of the sayings of the great teachers are designed to illustrate this fact. The natural world is the mental world made visible. The seen is the mirror of the unseen. The upper half of a circle is in no way different from the lower half, but its sphericity is reversed. The material and the mental are not two detached arcs in the universe. They are the two halves of a complete circle. The natural and the spiritual are not at eternal enmity but in the true order of the universe are eternally at one. It is in the unnatural, in the abuse of function and faculty, where division arises, and where man is wrestled back with repeated sufferings from the perfect circle from which he has tried to depart. Every process in matter is also a process in mind. Every natural law has its spiritual counterpart. Take any natural object and you will find its fundamental processes in the mental sphere if you rightly search. Consider, for instance, the germination of a seed and its growth into a plant with the final development of a flower and back to seed again. This also is a mental process. Thoughts are seeds which, falling in the soil of the mind, germinate and develop until they reach the completed stage, blossoming into deeds good or bad, brilliant or stupid, according to their nature, and ending as seeds of thought to be again sown in other minds. A teacher is a sower of seed, a spiritual agriculturalist, while he who teaches himself is the wise farmer of his own mental plot. The growth of thought is as the growth of a plant. The seed must be sown seasonably, and time is required for full development into the plant of knowledge and the flower of wisdom. While writing this, I pause and turn to look through my study window, and there, a hundred yards away, is a tall tree, in the top of which some enterprising rook, from a rookery hard by, has, for the first time, built its nest. A strong north-east wind is blowing, so that the top of the tree is swaying violently to and fro by the onset of the blast. Yet there is no danger to that frail thing of sticks and hair, and the mother bird, sitting upon her eggs, has no fear of the storm. Why is this? It is because the bird has instinctively built her nest in harmony with principles which ensure the maximum strength and security. First, a fork is chosen as the foundation for the nest, and not a space between two separate branches. So that, however great may be the swaying of the treetop, the position of the nest is not altered, nor is its structure disturbed. Then the nest is built on a circular plan, so as to offer the greatest resistance to any external pressure, as well as to obtain more perfect compactness within, in accordance with its purpose. And so, however the tempest may rage, the birds rest in comfort and security. This is a very simple and familiar object, and yet, in the strict obedience of its structure to mathematical law, it becomes, to the wise, a parable of enlightenment, Teaching them that only by ordering one's deeds in accordance with fixed principles is perfect surety, perfect security, and perfect peace obtained amid the uncertainty of events and the turbulent tempests of life. A house or a temple built by man is a much more complicated structure than a bird's nest, yet it is erected in accordance with those mathematical principles which are everywhere evidenced in nature. And here is seen how man, in material things, obeys universal principles. He never attempts to put up a building in defiance of geometrical proportions, for he knows that such a building would be unsafe, and that the first storm would, in all probability, level it to the ground, if indeed it did not fall about his ears during the process of erection. Man, in his material building, scrupulously obeys the fixed principles of circle, square, and angle, and aided by rule, plumb-line, and compasses, he raises a structure which will resist the fiercest storms, and afford him a secure shelter and safe protection. All this is very simple, the reader may say. Yes, it is simple because it is true and perfect. So true that it cannot admit the smallest compromise, and so perfect that no man can improve upon it. Man, through long experience, has learned these principles of the material world and sees the wisdom of obeying them. And I have thus referred to them in order to lead up to a consideration of those fixed principles in the mental or spiritual world, which are just as simple and just as eternally true and perfect, yet are at present so little understood by man that he daily violates them because ignorant of their nature and unconscious of the harm he is all the time inflicting upon himself." In mind as in matter, in thoughts as in things, in deeds as in natural processes, there is a fixed foundation of law which, if consciously or ignorantly ignored, leads to disaster and defeat. It is indeed the ignorant violation of this law which is the cause of the world's pain and sorrow." In matter, this law is presented as mathematical. In mind, it is perceived as moral. But the mathematical and the moral are not separate and opposed. They are but two aspects of a united whole. The fixed principles of mathematics, to which all matter is subject, are the body of which the spirit is ethical while the external principles of morality are mathematical truisms operating in the universe of mind. It is impossible to live successfully apart from moral principles, as to build successfully while ignoring mathematical principles. Characters, like houses, only stand firmly when built on a foundation of moral law, and they are built up slowly and laboriously, deed by deed, for in the building of character the bricks are deeds. Businesses and all human enterprises are not exempt from the eternal order, but can only stand securely by the observance of fixed laws. Prosperity, to be stable and enduring, must rest on a solid foundation of moral principle and be supported by the adamantine pillars of sterling character and moral worth. In the attempt to run a business in defiance of moral principles, disaster of one kind or another is inevitable. The permanently prosperous men in any community are not its tricksters and deceivers, but its reliable and upright men. The Quakers are acknowledged to be the most upright men in the British community, and although their numbers are small, they are the most prosperous. The Jains in India are similar both in number and sterling worth and they are the most prosperous people in India. Men speak of building up a business and indeed a business is as much a building as a brick house or a stone church, albeit the process of building is a mental one. Prosperity like a house is a roof over a man's head, affording him protection and comfort. A roof presupposes a support, and a support necessitates a foundation. The roof of prosperity, then, is supported by the following eight pillars, which are cemented in a foundation of moral consistency. 1. Energy 2. Economy 3. Integrity 4. System 5. Sympathy 6. Sincerity seven impartiality eight self reliance a business built upon the faultless practice of all these principles would be so firm and enduring as to be invincible nothing could injure it, nothing could undermine its prosperity, nothing could interrupt its success or bring it to the ground. But that success would be assured with incessant increase so long as the principles were adhered to. On the other hand, where these principles were all absent, there could be no success of any kind. There could not even be a business at all. For there would be nothing to produce the adherence of one part with another. But there would be that lack of life, that absence of fiber and consistency, which animates and gives body and form to any object whatsoever. Picture a man with all these principles absent from his mind, his daily life, and even if your knowledge of these principles is but slight and imperfect. Yet you could not think of such a man as doing any successful work. You could picture him as leading the confused life of a shiftless tramp, but to imagine him at the head of a business, as the center of an organization, or as a responsible and controlling agent in any department of life, this you could not do because you realize it's impossibility. The fact that no one of moderate morality and intelligence can think of such a man as commanding any success should, to all those who have not yet grasped the import of these principles and therefore declare that morality is not a factor, but rather a hindrance in prosperity, be a sound proof to them that their conclusion is totally wrong. For if it was right, then the greater the lack of these moral principles the greater would be the success. These eight principles, then, in greater or lesser degree, are the causative factors in all success, of whatsoever kind. Underneath all prosperity, they are the strong supports, and, howsoever appearances may be against such a conclusion, a measure of them informs and sustains every effort which is crowned with the excellence which men name success." It is true that comparatively few successful men practice in their entirety and perfection all these eight principles, but there are those who do, and they are the leaders, the teachers and the guides of men, the supports of human society, and the strong pioneers in the van of human evolution. But while few achieve that moral perfection, which ensures the acme of success, all lesser successes come from the partial observance of these principles, which are so powerful in the production of good results that even perfection in any two or three of them alone is sufficient to ensure an ordinary degree of prosperity, and maintain a measure of local influence, at least for a time. While the same perfection in two or three, with partial excellence in all or nearly all the others, will render permanent that limited success and influence which will, necessarily, grow and extend in exact ratio with a more intimate knowledge and practice of those principles which at present are only partially incorporated in the character. The boundary lines of a man's morality mark the limits of his success. So true is this, that to know a man's moral status would be to know, to gauge mathematically, his ultimate success or failure. The temple of prosperity only stands insofar as it is supported by its moral pillars. As they are weakened, it becomes insecure. Insofar as they are withdrawn, it crumbles away and totters to ruin ultimate failure and defeat are inevitable where moral principles are ignored or defied inevitable in the nature of things as cause and effect as a stone thrown upward returns to the earth so every deed good or bad returns upon him that sent it forth every unmoral or immoral act frustrates at the end at which it aims and every such succeeding act puts it further and further away as an achieved realization. On the other hand, every moral act is another solid brick in the temple of prosperity, another round of strength and sculptured beauty in the pillars which support it. Individuals, families, nations grow and prosper in harmony with their growth in moral strength and knowledge. They fall and fail in accordance with their moral decadence. Mentally, as physically, only that which has form and solidity can stand and endure. The unmoral is nothingness, and from it nothing can be formed. It is the negation of substance. The immoral is destruction. It is the negative of form. It is a process of spiritual denudation. While it undermines and disintegrates... It leaves the scattered material ready for the wise builder to put it into form again. And the wise builder is morality. The moral is substance, form, and building power in one. Morality always builds up and preserves, for that is its nature, being the opposite of immorality, which always breaks down and destroys. Morality is the master builder everywhere, whether in individuals or nations, whether in the world or in the universe. Morality is invincible, and he who stands upon it to the end stands upon an impregnable rock, so that his defeat is impossible, his triumph is certain. He will be tried, and that to the uttermost. For without fighting there can be no victory, and so only can his moral powers be perfected, and it is in the nature of fixed principles, as of everything finely and perfectly wrought, to have their strength tested and proved. The steel bars which are to perform the strongest and best uses in the world must be subjected to a severe strain by the Iron Master, as a test of their texture and efficiency, before they are sent from his foundry. The brickmaker throws aside the bricks which have given way under the severe heat. So he who is to be greatly and permanently successful will pass through the strain of adverse circumstances and the fire of temptation with his moral nature not merely not undermined but strengthened and beautified. He will be like a bar of well-wrought steel, fit for the highest use, and the universe will see, as the Iron Master, his finely wrought steel, that the use does not escape him. Immorality is assailable at every point, and he who tries to stand upon it sinks into the morass of desolation. Even while his efforts seem to stand, they are crumbling away. The climax of failure is inevitable. While the immoral man is chuckling over his ill-gotten gains, there is already a hole in his pocket through which his gold is falling. While he who begins with morality, yet deserts it for gain in the hour of trial, is like the brick which breaks on the first application of heat. He is not fit for use, and the universe casts him aside, yet not finally, for he is a being and not a brick, and he can live and learn can repent and be restored. Moral force is the life of all success and the sustaining element in all prosperity. But there are various kinds of success, and it is frequently necessary that a man should fail in one direction that he may reach up to a greater and more far-reaching success. If, for instance, a literary, artistic, or moral genius should begin by trying to make money, it may be, and often is, to his advantage and the betterment of his genius that he should fail therein, so that he may achieve that more sublime success wherein lies his real power. Many a millionaire would doubtless be willing to barter his millions for the literary success of a Shakespeare, or the spiritual success of a Buddha, and would therefore consider that he had made a good bargain. Exceptional moral success is rarely accompanied with riches, yet financial success cannot in any way compare with it in greatness and grandeur. But I am not, in this book, dealing with the success of the saint or moral genius such being dealt with in other of my books, but with that success which concerns the welfare, well-being, and happiness of the broadly average man and woman. In a word, with the prosperity of the mass of mankind, a success and prosperity which, while being more or less connected with money, being present and temporal, yet is not confined thereto, but extends to, and embraces all human activities, and which particularly relates to that harmony of the individual with his circumstances, which produces that satisfaction called happiness, and that comfort known as prosperity. To the achievement of this end, so desirable to the mass of mankind, let us now see how the eight principles operate how the roof of prosperity is raised and made secure upon the pillars by which it is supported. End of chapter 1